Criterion creeps are coming with Jared and RJ from Renoir to Kurosawa and everything along the way. Highbrow, lowbrow, they won't stop until the This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're observing the passing of the American Way of Life by way of Orson Welles as we watch spine number nine in the Criterion Laserdisc Collection. Orson Welles is the magnificent Ambersons from 1942. But first, RJ, happy 100th episode. Looks like we made it. I could have went with a lot of different songs there, but I, I decided to go with that one. You could also do the Al Gore uh, Celebrate Good Times from Simpsons. I think that would also work for mm-hmm. this uh, occasion. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah. I said I'd, I'd give you 100 and I'm done. So my, uh, my soul-binding contract with you and uh, Mephisto is now over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am free to uh, leave this world like I've wanted to for a long time. I've just wanted, just let me go, man. Let me die. Sorry to see you go, MJ. Let let me go, and then my soul evaporates. But people can't see that because it's a podcast. Yeah. But if you could see this, man, you would have been mildly whelmed. <laughs> just whelmed. Just whelmed. Well, it's not like. I don't know. It just would have looked like a Blumhouse movie. Yeah, on, Sky- on Skype. On Skype, yeah. So I guess we made it, hey? We, yeah, it's it's really, you know, I thought it would be a bigger deal, but here we are. And it's just like, oh, we've done it. We, yeah, we, we're just recording fucking podcasts. It's it's not fucking hard. Mm-hmm. All these, these fucking chumps that, like, can't even, like, get out, you know, 12 episodes, and then they just call her quits because they're failures. Yeah, there's a lot of people I know like yeah, that. Yeah, here we are. We're a uh, hundred deep. Um, you know, I was I was thinking too. It's like we've like done like fucking no planning at all for this. We're, we're we, you know usually people try to go all out and they do like something extra special. And probably when people like maybe discover this podcast, they go, "I'll oh, check out the hundredth episode." Those are always like really good. It's like no, folks, just telling you right now, this is just like this might even have like less effort than normal <laughs> because uh, I, I, I speaking for myself and I think RJ, uh, we, we we had busy days this last week. I'm still pretty busy. I'm gonna eat pretzels the whole episode. Oh, good. Because well, I didn't eat any. Yeah. I didn't eat anything. So Shit. this is gonna be one of the worst 100 episode spectaculars you've ever seen. Man, I was watching but, a. Uh, I was watching a like video on YouTube of like dudes playing Twilight Imperium for like six hours, and uh, I just wanted to get a sense of the gameplay of this fucking game. Just be like, how you, does this? No, I didn't watch the whole wait, thing. You, were you watching for six hours? No, the video no, no, was no. Six hours? The, the, the video is like six hours long, but like I started watching oh, wow. it because I wanted to get a sense of how the game was played, and like mm-hmm. there's this guy on the show, he's just fucking chewing ice, and he's right beside the mic. Ice. It is just like... 
what the I fuck hate- is wrong with these losers? And then, of course, uh, when, when people would complain about it, these guys would make jokes about being triggered. Uh, am I triggering you right now? Am I chewing my eyes? And it's like, holy shit, drop dead. So I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I kind of dropped out of that. Uh, but it's like, holy Christ, man. I don't think that's how you're supposed to use that. Isn't triggered for no, like actual that, things, all- not like mild annoyances. Well, you know, that's that's internet white dudes. Also, so I have more to say. Uh, I hate people who eat ice. Uh, I have very sensitive teeth, and the idea just fucking makes me just cringe all over. You know, cringe stuff. It just makes me shiver because imagining myself do it drives me crazy. So yeah. any of you fuckers out there eating ice, stop it. What do you get out of it? What do you get out of it? I don't get it. I've been known to chew some ice at a, at, at a restaurant a table. You know, sometimes you're that just, guy. Aren't no, you? it's it's because there's the, like a nice couple beside you having waiter, a dinner, and you're just. Some, sometimes the waiter hasn't brought more water, and now you're just like trying to stay refreshed. You're that thirsty. You're just popping down ice. Yep. Willy nilly. Sometimes it happens. You gotta break up that ice somehow. Sometimes there's too much. My God. Holy well, crap! This is a regular Seinfeld uh, shtick right here. Oh, sometimes you gotta eat the ice. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as my <laughs> thoughts on a hundred episodes, as I always tell the police, age is just a number. <sighs> so this is the last episode. So, I take it. so what? What you been uh, doing, RJ? Well, I was just gonna say. Why are you so fucking busy? To comment. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, it does feel a little underwhelming, but I was going to say, as you said, uh, I think it depends on how much you put into it. And we've been too busy this week. We just, it was an unfortunate time for the 100th episode. We both had a lot of stuff going on. I had comics inventory. I kept Mm -hmm. having to move these boxes of garbage comics that some loser sold us. It was a real pain in the ass. So, yeah. And then the only thing I had time to do, really, because when Mm -hmm. I tried, like, watching movies, I was just like, I don't care about watching movies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's a, that, it's that a, should be the tagline for our podcast. <laughs> I don't like watching for our movie podcast. I don't, feel like I watching don't care this, about I, movies. Yeah, that's like the tagline for describing the hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so yeah, I just was like reading comics, like lots of uh, like recent Marvel comics, which was like mm-hmm. I haven't done for a few years. So I was getting caught up, like on, in some cases, like stuff from like 2012, stuff from mm-hmm. like 2016, and uh, to various results. You know, some some mm-hmm. good, a lot of bad. But I don't know. That held my attention. Uh, organizing, shuffling stuff around, mm. feeling like a real nerd. Yeah, you are a nerd. Yeah. And a bad person. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, yeah, I was busy too. I've been working. It's 4-H season. So we uh, we do a lot of like charity auctions. Like people always ask us to come sell their charity events, which we do. <clears throat> and uh, there was a lot of 4-H ones. We did the Cartston 4-H last night. Uh, it was pretty funny. There was like... Because it's like the kids bringing out their like show steers and sometimes like a couple of these steers are like 1400 pounds and they get in the ring and there's so much noise. They're kind of like and they like run around and the kids like hanging on to the the harness and you, you got to give it to these kids. They refuse to let go even when they're getting like just dragged through fucking dirt. They're like they're like this is this is my moment. I won't let go. They got pride man. That's the spirit of 4-H. Mm hmm. It instills that sense of, uh, you know, accomplishment and duty. Right. Duty. See, Seymour Skinner was right. 4-H is cool. (laughs) 
so uh, that was cool. And then we did it, and uh, um, we 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 just do that stuff for people. But um, every once in a while, uh, they'll like give us something for doing it. And last night, I got a jar of pickled sausage. Hot damn! Which was which was pretty cool. Pretty cool. And then uh, so I've just been busy working, man. And next week's gonna be busy too. And a couple weeks of the summer are gonna be busy, unfortunately. Yeah. So it'll probably be bow watching, but. Uh, I did, wa- I did manage to watch some stuff on the weekend because on Saturday I woke up and my eye was like swollen. <laughs> and then halfway through the day, uh, it was on the top part. And then halfway through the day, the bottom half was swollen, like almost to the point of being shut. It's just from all that lifting. All that heavy lifting. Yeah. Well, actually, at work, I was dealing with some uh, some mold situation. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that may have been the culprit. Um, mm-hmm. I'm super sensitive to allergies now because of uh, all the years with the rats. So uh, my whole body is just like it's always like just this close to fucking just falling apart. So yeah, I woke up with a swollen eye, and uh, you know it, it's good that I did because that was the only time I uh, it was an excuse to stay home and watch a couple movies. Wow. And if and if not, this one hundredth episode would have been like eight minutes long, I think. Probably. Well, so, with that being said, hey RJ, mm-hmm. what you been creeping on this week? A few things. A few things. Do you want me? What kind of order do you want me to go in? Order I, I, I watch them or order I want to tell you about them? Uh, the, the latter. Order I want to tell you about them? Yeah. Okay, I want to tell you, Jared, for our 100th movie, I watched a very special movie from a director named Michael Showalter. He's uh, in that um, Wet Hot American Summer yep. stuff. I watched this movie, Jared, called Hello, My Name is Doris. Mm hmm. I, uh, starring, I I noticed this was on Netflix recently. Mm-hmm. I think starring uh, none other than Sally Field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there some uh, sad bastard movery right there? Ah, uh, I don't know. It depends on what your criteria are. Like, is it a sad bastard movie if they're a sad bastard throughout the whole movie, but at the end there's like some hope of positive, like momentum or like you know what I mean? Well. Yeah, I'd still say that would fall into that camp. Um, there's like the one movie. There's the, mental the, illness, fallen, sad bastards. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, what movie were you talking? Uh, so there's someone recommended to me. Uh, Brigsby Bear is being a sad bastard movie, but I don't really think mm. it. I don't think it is really. It's more about this like this guy's like kidnapped, and yeah. it's like he's just naive and just dresses like a dork. But there's nothing really sad bastardy about him. It's not like he. I, uh, yeah. He's like pretty ambitious actually. I I also disagree with that. Um, as people might know, if you listen back, when I watched that movie, I was really emotional because I was hungover. And uh, on that particular day, uh, I found I really liked that movie. And I think mostly because I found it like really positive And it like the message was just kind of like, you know, go out there and be the best you can be, you know. So I didn't think it was a sad bastard movie either. I really liked Briggs Bieber. Okay. So I watch this movie, Jarrett, for our 100th movie episode, or 100th episode yeah. spectacular. I know everyone was dying to get our opinion on Hello, My Name is Doris. So I did it. I took one for the team. Wow. So this movie stars Sally Field. She's old. As old as Sally Field is in real life, I guess. I don't know, like 80 mm-hmm. or so. And uh, she works in an office building. And she's very quirky. Uh, she wears all sorts of weird shit. She's also a hoarder. Uh, her mom just died. Uh, and she lived with her mom, and she can't throw anything away. Okay, this so is this is one hundred percent a sad bastard. Loser this is a movie, yeah. this is a sad bastard movie. Uh, so she can't throw anything away. 
Uh, she's a hoarder, and she's kind of really weird and quirky. And uh, her brother, Stephen Root, you know him from Office Space. Him and uh, his wife, uh, his wife's a real bitch, and she wants to sell the house and move everything out. And uh, he's like, all right, we're going to do it. But they, like, don't give her a shot. They just go in and try to throw all her stuff out. And that's not how you deal with a hoarder, you know? There was a therapist there, or a psychologist, but she couldn't help. So anyways, she's this weird lady. And then uh, in the office, a hunky dreamboat uh, starts working. Uh, the dude who is in New Girl, his name's Schmidt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. So he comes work, and uh, she's got she's got the hots for him, man. But she knows it's weird because he's like 30, 40 years younger, and it's probably not going to work. But you know what? She's going to give it her best shot. She's going to go for it. So this movie is about her trying to uh, pick up this guy who's like half her age. Summer winter scenario, Jared. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is actually okay. Uh, and I watched it with Andrea, and uh, she liked it. She thought it was like light and easy. This is definitely an Andy pick. If anyone out there is wondering, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like got a a positive feel to it, even though it gets serious sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of it's like fun and uh, not too heavy. Um, and Sally Field's pretty good. I used to call my biceps Sally Field. So uh, I relate to this immensely. Um, the only, th- so it's not bad. Like uh, it's actually it's got some decent jokes and the story is okay. Like it's not something I feel like is super overdone. Uh, so I actually liked it. I just have a few criticisms, and it's not as much about the movie as it is about just things in general. Like this movie has like three or four actors that are just in fucking everything. There's that fat guy from Mad Men who's in everything there's kumal nanjiani who's in fucking everything like i'm I'm so sick of seeing the same people over and over again in all of these movies mm-hmm. I, I don't know that's probably a, even even just talking about that is probably played out but uh i don't know i'm sick of I'm sick of you kumal nanjiani mm-hmm. sick of you so anyways there's that and then uh, this movie has like a really weird like uh not weird, but there's there's this side focus on LGBTQ stuff where it's kind of like a joke in the movie. Like one of the girls is like, oh, yeah, I'm uh, in my LGB uh, knitting club. And she's like, oh, are you a lesbian? And she's like, no, I just really like it. And it's like that kind of joke. And it comes up like four or five times, like people who are involved in LGBT stuff, but hmm. they're not really in the community. They just like the community. Hmm. Or there's like a guy who's like, I don't really know what I identify as anymore. So it's like there's a lot of jokes like that. And I was like, uh, I don't know. It felt like too many, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bob from that 70s show is in this. That's pretty cool. Oh, uh, Brigsby Bear guy is in this. Oh, I just yeah. remembered that. So oh. there you go. What a, what a coincidence. What a coincidence. Of all these people always being in one another's movies. Yeah, I know. Like, I get it. It's just... <laughs> What, I'm, whatever. I don't. I don't want to see the same fucking guys all the time. So, so what you're getting at? This movie is a soft recommend. Oh uh, yeah, I'd say if you uh, if you had like a girlfriend who was like throw on something light and fun, you could throw on My Name Is Doris or your cock. There you go. So uh, next up, I'm going in reverse order, Jarrett, because that's how I like to do things. Uh, I watched Animal Kingdom. Oh man. From uh, David, uh, is it Mashad? Michaud? Mitchell? I. That's good. That's fine. Hey, 
Uh, do you know Animal Kingdom from 2010? Yes, I uh, I saw this year several years ago. So this is an Australian mm-hmm. film. Uh, it is sometimes described as a family gangster film, in not quite the likes of a Godfather type movie, but in a similar, more kind of low key sense. Uh, so you have this family. And it's kind of implied that uh, they may have robbed some banks at some time. And uh, there are rogue Australian policemen who are sick of the crime. And they take it about themselves to vigilante style, go after some of these criminals uh, in the style of just straight assassinating them in parking lots. Uh, So you have the family. uh, You have dudes like... Um, Joel Egerton, who I used to not like a lot, but now I actually think is very good. So he's in here. You have uh, Guy Pierce is a guy who I used to really hate, uh, and people used to give me a lot of shit for it. But whatever, I'm gonna stick by it. I don't think Guy Pierce is that cool. Come so on. there you go. Come on. He he's okay. I uh, want you have a real big piece of shit, Ben Mendelsohn, oh. uh, who is playing a piece of shit, but just is a piece of shit in real life, too. From what I hear, uh, apparently on set, he is just the biggest fucking asshole you could ever be with. I don't know. I'm not in the industry. I'm just <laughs> nor am I spreading rumors. But I hate Ben Mendelsohn. We've talked about it before. Uh, he's a real loser. Uh, so you got all these guys. And then you have this guy who James Frenchville. I think this was like his first movie. And then you have the mom of the family and like uh, a couple other brothers and stuff like that. Cousins and what have you. So you have the police. They're going after these guys. Uh, They get one of the guys in the family. And then what you have is piece of shit Ben Mendelsohn uh, trying to enact revenge uh, plot on the police. And he cooks up a scheme and he kind of manipulates other people in the family to go about it. Uh, and they do, and then after that, then the police are really on to them because they don't like that shit. Mm. And then uh, what you have is the youngest, uh, the youngest one, the kid who I think was his first movie. He's like new to this family. He doesn't really know what's going on. He kind of gets put in the middle of it between uh, everyone in the family manipulating each other and going after him. And then uh, the police guy Pierce is talking to him too, trying to get him to kind of turn on him. So Man. that's Animal King. Yeah, I I honestly don't remember that movie much at all. Like I, I've I've definitely seen it, but it kind of came out in that window of time where it seemed like uh, these like kind of crime dramas would come out, and they're fine and they're good movies. Like they're good movies, they're worth watching, but like there's nothing memorable about them. But really, where you're like, oh, until you like, unless you, unless it really stuck with you. But yeah. this like so, I remember the title yeah. and like th- now that you mentioned things, I'm like, oh, that movie had Guy Pierce in it. Like I don't remember that at all. I do remember it was Australian, but like uh, in comparison to something like uh, uh, the Snowton uh, movie, uh, Snowton Murders, that film, oh, yeah. that movie is uh, far more memorable, I guess. And I would kind of slot it into the same mm-hmm. uh, area area because they're both Australian, I guess. But you fucking bigot. <laughs> Um, anyways, so yeah, watch Animal Kingdom. Uh, this was always a long time recommendation from old roommate Scott. He was big in this movie. Uh, it's actually, it's I guess it's a Netflix TV show now, and it's yes. got a couple seasons, yeah. which is interesting. I uh, maybe I'll watch it one day. Probably not, but I'd like to. Uh, so I actually Animal Kingdom is really good. Uh, it's got a cool, it's got a real slow burn feel, and even the style and the pacing, it's kind of everything 
is real smooth and kind of slow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could see that being a problem for some people because uh, there's not a lot of action in this movie. It's kind of a lot of uh, people talking to each other, building up that tension, kind of leading towards things. And there isn't, there's never like huge payoff, I guess. There, there's a couple small payoffs, and I think. I think it's sufficient in that sense, but uh, no, Animal Kingdom is pretty good, man. I liked it. Um, I know a lot of people talk pretty highly of it, and I can see why. Um, it's really good. It's worth watching once for sure, but uh, I don't. It didn't, you know, it didn't blow my dick off or anything like that. Yeah, what can yeah. though? Oh, a few things, man. A few things. Uh, you know what didn't blow my dick off? Unless you have anything to talk about no, Animal Kingdom. That's, that's about it. Well, other I'll than, watch, hey, folks, watch Snowton, Snowtown Murders, whatever the hell it's called. That's a gooder. Sure. So he says. After that, Jared, or before that, rather, uh, I watched Hostiles uh, by Scott Cooper. You know him. Nope. From Out of the Furnace. No. Uh, from Crazy Heart. No. And from, well, you never seen Crazy Heart? No. Me neither. But I heard it was good. Uh, what about Black Mass, that Johnny Depp movie? No, never did. Okay. Well, I've seen Out of the Furnace, and I thought that was pretty good. Like, it's not great, but uh, it's got good parts. And uh, this guy likes using Christian Bale, who I like a lot. So Hostiles is uh, a Cowboys and Indians movie, Jarrett. Would you believe it? I would. Uh, so this takes place in the late 1800s, like 1890-something uh, and you have this like Texan uh, army general guy who is Christian Bale, and he's got a little squad of uh, dudes with him. He's got that guy from uh, Dazed and Confused. I can't remember which one. You figure it out. Uh, Jesse Plemons, Meth Damon himself. He's in there. Did you uh, say Meth, Meth Damon? Yeah, Meth Damon. Have you never heard that I, one? I, I didn't know he had those problems. He looks like Matt Damon did meth. Right. Uh, this movie also has a uh, creep hated alumni, Timothy Chalamont. Uh, but he's in this movie for ha- maybe half a minute and then he gets shot and oh, dies. Does he get scalped? So, uh, I think, I don't think so, but it's real close. Ooh. Cherokees do take him out. Oh shit. Uh, so it's pretty close. And that may have, I think they were Cherokees. <laughs> there was a couple different, uh, what, what, tribe. uh, what part of America are they in? Uh, I think they start in Texas and then oh, they so move up to Montana. Okay. Well, so depending, depending. there's a... Were they the one, Sioux? No, it was either Cherokee or Comanche. Comanche? Apache? One of the C's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one of the C's. Okay. Ben. Fo- oh, actually, Ben Foster is in this. Oh. Yeah. You Comanche? <laughs> uh, I, I like Ben Foster in Westerns. I think he's really good in it. Um, let me tell you what this movie is about. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, Wes Studi is in this uh, from Heat fame. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Christian Bale is like an army guy in somewhere like Texas, somewhere south, uh, and he really hates Indians. Like, I mean, he fucking hates Indians, Jared. Him and all of his guys, they go around. Uh, they see the havoc that the savages wreak on the land, and they're like, we hate these fucking people. Uh, but uh, there is a pardon from the president that one of the uh, Cheyenne chiefs that they captured about eight years before and has been in their prison for like almost a decade, he's getting pardoned because he's going to die and uh, he needs to be taken back to his land in Montana. Escort so mission? 
escort mission. Oh. Uh, and the only man for the job is the guy who hates Indians. Oh, shit. Because no one knows the land better than him, baby. It doesn't get much more Hollywood than that. Doesn't get much more Hollywood than that. So uh, you have Christian Bale leading Wes Studi. Uh, and, like, Adam Beach is there. You know, all the famous uh, indigenous uh, actors. They're all there. Uh, so the crew is leading them. They go up through like Colorado, Wyoming into Montana. And along the way, they get into all sorts of hijinks. Uh, they encounter Rosamund Pike. Her whole family was slaughtered by the uh, Comanches or Cherokees, the ones that attack them later and kill Timothy Chalamont. Uh, her whole family was killed by them. This movie's pretty bleak in parts. Uh, they shoot her baby and uh, she carries it for like a week. Just a dead baby in her arms. It was a real Jarrett thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, she gets brought into this band as they uh, cross her path. Um, they cross a different military camp with uh, that a dude who's leading it that I love. Uh, his name's P- Peter Mullen. Uh, I know this guy from like, he's in Braveheart and Train Spotting. Uh, he's the lead guy in Session 9. Uh, I really like him in the Harry Potter movies. He doesn't really have any lines, but he's got this wicked ponytail, and he always looks really mean. So that guy's awesome. Uh, they cross him, and they pick up a prisoner, Ben Foster, who they are trying to transport as well. Uh, so there's all sorts of stuff they get into. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Western things. Western things. Uh, this movie's pretty good. Um, it has it has some really nice shots. It's very pretty looking because it's all Montana, Wyoming, Colorado countryside. Uh, that stuff's all really good. It has it's really dark, uh, like really bleak, like I said. Um, it's kind of, there's some stuff that might be over the top, like that dead baby stuff. I could see that being a little over the top for some people. My word. Um, <laughs> my, I must have just my monocle. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was good. It's a little long. It's over two hours. It's like 210, and I do think it is a little bit um, predictable. Uh, Could you imagine, Jarrett, what it would be like for a guy who hates the Indians, the Native Americans, to be traveling with them? You bet he'd hate it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But do you think that along the way they might might he might learn to yeah maybe learn to understand each other, and maybe in the end they become friends? Maybe, maybe, maybe. So it's. I, I think I so that spoiler I would have liked it better if he just hated them the whole way through because I think it's too predictable that he's like oh he's like you know what you're right you're right you are people you, you're not savages uh, which I mean is the right thing to do but it's like we have like a hundred movies like that could have just been the other way I don't know no. Hostiles is okay it's got some pretty pretty cool western st- uh, like shots but uh on the whole, it's nothing to rush out to. I don't think you would like it. Mm, that's too bad because so, I like those westerns. Yeah, my Jarrett pick, uh, my Jarrett prediction would probably be like two and a half, mm. maybe, maybe a three. You might give it a soft three. Yeah, like you, you might be like, it's okay. I just don't love it. But uh, I don't know. I could be wrong. Right. All right. So I got two more Jarrett. Whoa. Lay it on you. Do it. Or or what? Do it. To uh, it. So I watched the Jarrett pick. Oh. Uh, Affliction. Oh. By Paul Schrader. Yes. The man, the man who brought us Mishima, the man who brought us Cat People, the man who brought us the Canyons. D- Dominion. Paul, <laughs> Dominion, all that good stuff. Uh, Paul Schrader's amazing. He 
He's so cool. I don't care if he made like bad movies recently. He's made for a long real... time now, but he used to make he used to be script writing that shit all day long. Yeah, he did that Adam Resurrected movie with uh, Jeff Goldblum and Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. He did all sorts of stuff. He was a cool dude. Yeah. So I told Jared, uh, if you get astute listeners recall, a couple episodes back, I watched The Champ, which is like a father-son uh, dynamic. So Jared was like, hey, you should watch Affliction. That is also a father-son dynamic. So I was like, all right, I've never heard of it. No. Let me give it a shot. It's a movie that's kind of uh, been forgotten by time. <laughs> Mm. which is too bad because affliction is really good yeah uh so affliction stars mr nick nolte uh this was before he was too crazy to be good in movies but just the right amount of crazy i think not that he's too crazy now but he had that dip what was it uh early 2000s where we've all we've all seen that uh arrest photo from his uh, dui yeah so uh you got nick nolte uh, he's kind of like a deadbeat dad in this small town, and he's kind of a policeman, but it's kind of the way they play it is he's more like a small town sheriff thing, but not actually a cop. Yeah. I don't know. I was a little fuzzy on that, but so he's like small town t- cop type, and uh, he's also a deadbeat dad. Uh, you see him uh, with his daughter who like like a young girl, and she just fucking hates him. She doesn't want to be around him. She's always like, can I go home? And he's like. He tries really hard, but in the wrong ways. He's always like, no. He's like, this is the best. We love being together. And he's like, hey, wait here for a minute. And then he'll like go have some beer. So he he like wants to have a good relationship with his kid, but he's really bad at it. Uh, and the reason is because he had a really bad relationship with his father, played by Mr. James Coburn. You know him from Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who won an Oscar for this movie, apparently. Yes. I, I heard it was a surprise win. Good. Good. Uh, also, Willem Dafoe is in this as uh, Nick Nolte's brother, and uh, Nick Nolte is dating Sissy Spacek. It's an all-star cast. Uh, so he had a strained relationship with his dad, um, and they show it in a really... I liked how they showed it, and it's been done a bunch since here, but I liked how they did it in this movie where the uh, flashbacks, it's kind of like old footage like super eight style almost yes. and i think it's, it's just a way to hide how old james coburn is because he's wearing like a blonde wig but you kind of you make the image a little bit fuzzier it's harder to see how old he fucking is mm-hmm. um i actually liked it in this movie uh so this movie is another one of those slow burns like uh what was i talking about animal kingdom um it's kind of i don't know it's kind of hard to describe it's there's not like oh, there's never anything huge kind of happening, but there's always this kind of steady flow of stuff. Uh, Nick Nolte is like trying to do things with the cops and his trying to be a dad, but then he's also dealing with his dad. So he's kind of like there's growing pressures on him, and he's kind of getting a little bit weird. He can't really handle the stress very well, and uh, it's it all kind of built like the tension builds up really good in this where. It's all kind of leading towards something. And uh, this movie's got some dark stuff mm-hmm. later on in the end. Uh, it is something of a toxic style relationship, I guess. Because uh, Nick Nolte really hates James Coburn, but he's also his dad. So they all like they kind of want to be each- around each other, but they don't. Um, no, uh, this movie is really good, man. Uh, I feel it kind of sucks that it... Um, 
or it's kind of shitty that it's been forgotten. Like, like I was saying, I had never even fucking heard of this thing. Uh, but it's it's pretty good, man. It's a really well put together movie. Yeah, I've always kind of been a, a not a defender. I've, I've been a strong proponent of this movie. It's like. I remember watching it years ago. I remember like uh, Ebert was a huge fan of it, had it on his great movies list or the best yeah. films of the year of the time. And I remember like digging through in the blockbuster days, checking out these sort of dramas that like smaller yeah. movies that are low key that like you could feasibly make yourself like that type of movie where it's like you don't need a big budget or anything like that. You just need good actors. And yep. um, so I just wound up uh, watching this and always being like, this movie is so good. It's so well-written. The acting's so Mm -hmm. great. It's just this, like, small, intense, mean little uh, domestic drama. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like, man, 98, right? I think 97. 97. Man. Yep. Even older. So here we are, like, 21 years later. later. And it's like, no one really talks about this. It doesn't really top those lists. Uh, Like, when you think about movies. like Because this was, like, also, like, a crazy great period of time. Like, the late Mm -hmm. 90s, so many, like, good little dramas come out that this one's just, like, just too small for people. Yeah. I think uh, I kind of get it a little bit, too, because this movie has a really uh, dull visual quality to it. Like, it's, it's usually just, like, a set camera there's not a lot of movement from it and even there's there's like no color because it's a winter small town yeah and uh, a lot of what's happening is very slow so it's not like a visually stimulating movie but i think that's i don't know i think that's pretty intentional for the way that the story is um that's how it seems at least like it fits with the vibe that he's setting like what this place is and what these people are um, so I, I can see why maybe people didn't really love it because they're, it's not, I think it's people, not like a pretty movie. I don't think people didn't love it. It's just like, uh, it just, it didn't no, get watched. It, it, well, yeah. It, yeah, it's just like a small movie that like what, when you see the tastes of people nowadays, it's just like yeah. all these, like, it's kind of like Manchester by the sea, very good sure. movie, but yeah. you know. 20 years from now, no one's going to talk about Manchester by the Sea ever again. And I mean, like the 70s is just filled with these sorts of dramas that like, you're like, why does anyone talk about this movie? It's so good. But it's just because it's like an understated drama. It's not like a genre movie. It's not an action movie. It's not like in a movie that people go out of their way to watch for like fun. They mm-hmm. just like, that's, yeah. It's like, oh no, if you want to watch like a really well-written little drama, it's like, yeah, people should watch those too. But usually people are more hungry for comfort food. Ah. <laughs> uh. Kind of like uh, my last film. No. Uh, so for the 100th episode, I did try. Uh, I actually, do you have anything else to say about Affliction? No, uh, I'm glad yeah. you liked it. I'm glad. I'm glad it holds up because it's sometimes good, with these uh, these movies, I haven't seen for a really long time, but I remember being really good. Sometimes you go back and, and then, or you lend with somebody, and they go, "I don't get it," and then I watch and I go, "Oh, yeah, I get that. That's maybe it hasn't aged well, but I'm glad that it holds up." Yep. Uh, no, it holds up real good. It's a good show. Uh, so unlike this other movie I watched, and it's the last one I watched. Okay. Uh, so for the 100th episode, I did try to get one of, uh, an RJ pick in here. Uh, so I watched a movie called Evils of the Night. Uh, this thing has an amazing fucking poster on Letterboxd. Uh, and let me just read the, the little tagline on the poster. Alien vampires have just landed from outer space. They search, uh, of the one sustenance they need to survive teenage blood and the poster is like this uh big boobed babe getting uh probed by like a spaceship or the probed by the millennium falcon on top and then underneath there's like skeleton arms grabbing her mm. uh which is pretty cool uh so i watched this as it is an alien flick which 
I like. Uh, it is a Beach Babe flick, which I also like. This movie was a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Just huge. I was so disappointed in this. Um, so this was on Amazon Prime, which I have, which has like 20 movies on there. But this was one that was on there. So I was like, nice. I can watch that movie with the Wicked poster. Uh, this movie is 80 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the script was probably maybe 15 to 20 pages long. And uh, every paragraph is like, do some more of this for a couple minutes. Do some more of this for a couple minutes. Uh, so you have like there was a group no of, screenplay. Yeah, there were actually that's a good call. So the movie, there's like a bunch of teenage babes on the beach with dudes and they're all getting freaky and getting down. And then uh, a couple of them get kidnapped by men in uh, like balaclavas, but they're also in mechanic outfits uh, and then they get taken to a facility where like Julie Newmar is there and she's kind of old mm-hmm. and John Carradine is there and they're talking about how they need to like take out all the blood for their vampires. Uh, so that's the movie. Uh, you have all these people on the beach hanging out partying uh, and what happens is there's this group of aliens and they hire these two mechanics to go kidnap kids for them. Uh, I think the biggest problem in this movie is that they didn't know what they wanted to do between alien vampire movie getting blood and then like a, a, just a straight fl- a slasher flick with these two gross old mechanics. Uh, Cause you get, you get a lot of scenes at the beach of the kids just hanging out and a lot of like boobs and long butts and stuff. And that's all pretty good. Uh, I like that quite a bit. The first half hour is okay. Cause that's all this movie is, is like the kids on the beach hanging out and then getting abducted. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is just really drawn out and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't hardly ever see the aliens. It's just the mechanic dudes. Uh, they're not particularly interesting. The one guy looks like he's mad out of fucking putty or something. Like, he's really weird. To- he takes his mask off, and I was like, whoa. I was like, that's a weird-looking guy. Um, so you get them, and half of the movie, or the back end of the movie, the back half hour, is them with uh, a couple of the main kids, like, tied up in their shop. And uh, one old guy is trying to rape the girls. Uh, And this is like, I'm not exaggerating. It's almost 20 minutes. Uh, He goes after one girl and it's like just really slow shots of him kind of like walking with his hands out like, (laughs) 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 and that'll go for like two minutes and then it'll cut to the girl being like, no, no. And then it'll cut back to him walking up Uh, and then she gets free and then there's a struggle and that's about 10 minutes long. Nothing really happens. And then he kills her. And then he goes after the other girl tied up. And he, they do it all over again. And that's another fucking 20 minutes. Like, that that stuff is real bad. Uh, the aliens peace out. You don't even see them very much in this. And that's disappointing. Except they fly over top and they, like, vaporize one of the mechanics for some reason. I don't know. Uh, there's some real bad acting in this. There is also so there's all the beach scenes are cool. Uh, there was one scene. Uh, this is going to make me sound really gross. But if this scene had happened, which it almost did, I bet they couldn't do it because it would have been an X rating. Uh, but I feel like I don't feel like a pervert saying that I think it was going to happen because I do think it was going to happen. So there was a guy and him and a girl were getting down and he was like he had his back on a tree and she was in front of him looking the other way. You know how it works. Yeah. Sex. Uh, and then and then he gets strangled out by the tree, but she doesn't know. Right. So that happens. But then she just finds out and then she gets killed, too. But what it looks like they're going to do 
is like if this was an X-rated film, they would like cut that dude's head off and like blood would go on that girl's back. And then it would have been like a play on like, ooh, you know what I mean? Yep. It doesn't do that, though. This Aww. movie just sucks. No, nothing to redeem it at all. Nothing to redeem it at all. Uh, the guy who made this made like one other movie about James Dean. Uh, oh, and this was written by uh, your buddy who wrote Eaten Alive, the piece, the Toby Hooper movie. Oh. So. Oh. That's the guy who directed this. Wow. Anyways, uh, Evils of the Night is real bad. Yeah, I've never seen this one. Um, it's It's been kind of like on the periphery because I think uh, oh, the one, uh, God, what are they called? Gorgon video? Gorgon video? The Gorgons? Uh, the Gorgons. Uh, Gorgon the Gorgons. Video. They, uh... They put this out on DVD, I believe, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those movies that I was like, oh, maybe one of those days I'll buy it because it's like I have everything else from that label. But there's something always about it that made me go, nah, I kind of know what this is going to be. I don't, I don't need mm-hmm. more of that in my collection. I've got enough of these uh, Evils of the Night uh, kicking around. I don't need another one. So I'm glad that you did some investigation and watched this unprompted, uh, and uh, <laughs> now I don't have to watch it. Well, I need. We needed one of these for our hundredth movie. I think I cast a pretty or a hundred episode. I think I cast a pretty good net. I had a weird eighties alien movie. I had nineties drama. I had a new western. I had My Name Is Doris, the movie everyone's been looking at. So you did it. I did it, man. I tried to. I tried to do something for the show. Well, um, I just watched like some. Japanese movies and uh, a movie directed by a sex predator, written by a sex predator. I should Victor be. Salva? No, close. I actually got to explain Victor Salva to some guys at the comic book store who had never heard about it. They were like, what? How did it come up? Because uh, there's the Jeepers Creepers comic that's coming mm-hmm. out. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, yeah, those movies are pretty cool. I saw their own Netflix. And I went, yeah. And then I just explained why that's not cool. Why you <laughs> or, shouldn't watch those or, movies. Mm, you could watch them, but be aware. Be aware that you're watching yeah. the movie, movies directed by a convicted child rapist. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but there's people that still don't know about that, which is really like, oh. Yeah, hey man, Roseanne gets canned and Victor Salva's still out there making movies. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, speaking of, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tackle my, uh, probably the best movie I watched, which also happened mm-hmm. to be written by the uh, sex pest. Uh, so, this movie, The Gambler, uh, oh, no. from 72, 74, whatever it is, starring James Caan, who's uh, also uh, apparently an asshole on set. He's apparently very difficult to work with for, for some. Um, so this movie was written by James Toback, who's got that mm. rep of, like, whatever it was. Um, it, he'd bring actresses up to his hotel room, and he would, like, basically just like, yeah, you should give me a blowjob. You should really challenge yourself. He'd use, like, all the mind games mm. that, like, they use in, like, acting school to get people to open up. But he used them to, for his own advantages you know, getting off. Um, so he's, yeah, that's his big yeah, accusations don't... against him. He's, he's just kind of like, an, he's, he oozes scumminess. Um, mm-hmm. But he wrote this movie, The Gambler. Uh, there's the movie of his I watched last year called Fingers with Harvey Keitel, which was like, he actually directed that. And it was kind of like a mixed bag, felt very 70s. This though, uh, also very 70s, very New York, but uh, like a really good movie. 
So, mm-hmm. uh, as the title would suggest, this movie is about a gambler. Uh, James Caan <gasps> plays an English professor uh, who is a degenerate gambler. Uh, nice. He owes money to uh, bookies, which means that you owe it to the mob. Uh, Paul mm-hmm. Servino is his bookie, and uh, Paul Servino he likes this guy. He he he, he likes James Caan, and but he's like. Just got himself in too deep. He just kept borrowing money that uh, he didn't have, and now he owes forty five thousand dollars in like nineteen seventies money, which is like two hundred thousand dollars nowadays. Um, so he owes all this money. Uh, as the movie opens is that up, a lot. I I don't know. Is it? Well, <laughs> do, do, do you want to okay. owe? Do you want to owe Paul Servino two hundred thousand dollars? I already owe him enough. Yeah, exactly. Enough. There you go. So. Mm-hmm. So the movie starts out with him just being like, he's down on his luck, and he's being, oh, I've never seen such a bad, seen such a bad streak in my life with you, man. And it's like, I really like you. You better, you have to pay this money back, though. You know, there's no fucking around. Like this is some serious money. You really have to pay this up. You can't just uh, blow it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are revealed. Yeah, he's an English professor, so he's got a job. You know, not too bad. But then you also find out that he is the grandson of a like this Jewish furniture magnet of like the Northeast coast. He like, okay. he's rich. Like, so he's got money. His mother's a doctor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got money, but this is sort of like a kind of a shameful thing that he's got going on. Uh, no, no, you know, they don't call them degenerate gamblers for nothing. Um, so he's so his mm-hmm. money, but he thinks like he can, I don't know, he can figure it out. And uh, it's, it turns into like a character study of a man who's like on this uh, road of self-destruction uh, the reason why is because he, life's so easy for him because, I mean, his fa- his like grandfather is like rich beyond belief. His mother's a doctor. If he gets $45,000 too deep, you know, he's like, yeah, that's kind of exciting. Maybe for once, like someone's going to break my legs and someone's going to finally teach me a lesson. But he can always weasel his way out somehow, be it uh, like asking his mother for like a $45,000 like loan that he never has to pay back. Um, is that a lot? Uh, probably. I don't know. Hmm. Are you are you gonna ask Linda for forty five k or I guess two hundred k and be like, hey, yeah, I just I got too crazy down at the auction house, uh, mm-hmm. mommy. Uh, no, people don't give me money. No, I I I'm in the barter tr- trade system, so I just trade for goods for goods. Yeah, and yeah, se- so. and sex. Well, with the kids downtown. Yeah, so. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, this this movie is pretty rad. Uh, very, it's just like exactly what you want out of like a, a '70s character piece. Uh, very well made, very well written. Uh, it doesn't have any of like the uh, patented weird James Toback sex stuff that you sometimes see, uh, as in like the movie Fingers, where you're like yep. reminded of who's involved with the uh, writing of this. Um, but yeah, no. So you're saying that this movie by the the sex pest was uh, well written. Uh, I, I think it was a well-directed movie. I think, I mean, I think this material lends itself well to being directed. So, yeah. did, did he write the uh, the Mark Wahlberg one too? Is that a remake of this, uh, or is this, that a different? Th- that deal? is that is indeed a remake of this film. Is that good? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you most people. Yeah, because this was directed by uh, Carol Rice. Uh, yeah, no, most people who seem to be like watching this after they've seen the uh, uh, Marky Mark one. They always mm-hmm. go, oh, what was the point of remaking it? This movie is so much better. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. One so, of those. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you just kind of watch this guy kind of darting left and right, and you always see the the typical uh, degenerate gambler storyline of like he's 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 out, he could finally be done, but you leave him with a little bit of money and you leave him overnight, he's gonna find a way to gamble that too. So I mean, it, it dekes, it dives. Uh, does things, it suck? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it does. Hmm. So things just get like worse and worse, and you, you're watching him kind of like lend him lend himself to these things, and just keeps getting darker and darker and you realize oh yeah there's like no sympathy for this guy and he, he's okay with that he doesn't want your fucking sympathy mm. so well it sounds okay but if that guy's a rapist then what are we supposed to do um i don't know live our lives well i guess i'm i'm okay <laughs> are you though no um so I also so I watched some Japanese movies. I started these the other week. Didn't talk about them, but like I said, I didn't watch that many things. I was too busy reading those comic books. So here's mm. what I so I watched a movie here called mm-hmm. Terrifying Girls High School Lynch Law. Oh, you perv. Um. Yeah. So a thorough <laughs> line here in Japanese cinema I've been picking up on is they like to throw some rape around. In a way where it's like, you know, if you pick like a, a bunch of Japanese movies and start watching them from this era and you realize that every single one of them has like an attempted rape or rape in them, you kind of go, huh, mm-hmm. you know, if I did that similarly with like other countries, I don't think I'd get such a high volume. But <clears throat> here you are. Um, outside mm-hmm. of like Godzilla movies, which I think are pretty rape free, which. uh, uh Until mine comes out. Until yours. Yeah. Yep. So this movie, um, I don't know. This movie's wacky, uh, as most of these types of movies are. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about a it's about a high school. It's like a reform school. Uh, it's being run very sleazily by principals that are repressed weirdos and like mm-hmm. schoolgirls that know that men want them, so they use that to their advantage. There's people wanting to clean up the schools and like save people. Uh, there's revenge uh, from like previous histories. It's just a mm-hmm. hodgepodge. It's just a, an extravaganza. It's got ridiculous scenes of like Japanese men just like getting ground upon by women in panties and stuff like that. And they're uh. just like, ha ha, I can't believe this. This is all I've ever wanted. Ha ha. And uh, but then it turns out that this is all set up to blackmail them, all sorts of things like that. Uh, this film is not woke, RJ. Not in the least. Mm, um, are you saying that it's asleep at the switch? Ah. Uh... Oh, maybe, mayhaps. So anyway, yeah, this is just a, I, I kind of had higher hopes for this. I'd seen some people regard this one fairly highly for these sort of like late 60s, early 70s, kind of wacky, Yakuza, sort of like zany, gonzo movies that Japan mm-hmm. was churning out from their very from these studios. But it just felt like another one of these movies. I won't remember anything in particular about this in a month, and they all kind of blur into one into a hodgepodge you kind of watch mm-hmm. these movies just for like the crazy visuals here and there but i mean sometimes you just want like a female scorpion 701 you know something that like really makes you go Ugh. whoa this movie's awesome like even rj would like this this you'd be just come totally on indifferent to yeah eat, mm. your, eat, eat your pretzels can you hear that yep um i'm trying to be careful yeah i know uh so i watched uh this movie called thirst for love uh, this movie is, is that not, a porno? No, actually. So this is from the Eclipse Collection, Criterion's mm-hmm. like baby bro- baby brother. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this little number here was also a movie I've seen being very well regarded. Um, who is the name of the director on this bad boy? It's been a while since this is only like four movies ago, and mm. uh, I've only watched three things. So, director is one Koryoshi Kurahara, and uh, they have a set. It's like the the was it the Warped World of uh, Koyashi Kurahara? They directed like the Warped Ones, Intimidation. Mm. Black Sun, I Hate But Love. Uh, they have this movie that I want to watch desperately called Antarctica, which sounds like not an RJ pick at all. Uh, What's that about? Oh, let me tell you then. <clears throat> Two Japanese scientists, uh, Ushioda and Ochi, develop a bond with their sled dogs while on an expedition oh, okay. in Antarctica. Enough. No, it's it's like real bad. Uh, and Because it's like 1983 and it's Japan, the gloves come off. Enough. Yeah. Enough from you, Duncan. But it's got an awesome uh, Vangelis score. So, I mean, I really want to check it out. Anyway, so Thirst for Love. Mm. Uh, this movie is quite good. Um, How good? Quite. Okay, keep going. So, this is the movie. Uh, it's just like, a, again, one of these low-key kind of messed up family dramas. It's about a woman. She's a widow. She's now living with uh, the family of her dead husband, which is uh, the father, the patriarch of the family, uh, his, like, loser son and his wife, uh, the another a daughter whose husband has also died, and they're, they're, so their kids live there. You don't really see them mm-hmm. too much. There's kind of, like, the groundskeeper and, like, his mother and so she's scottish no he's not a willy okay. yeah they're all okay, keep going it's it's a monoculture very gotcha. uh, yeah very japanese uh mm-hmm. what's going on though is the the patriarch of the family is carrying on an affair with his former daughter-in-law and she's just kind of like kind mm-hmm. of they're just along for, like they're just having this relationship it's like not super weird or creepy it's just kind of happening and everyone's kind of like no it's this blase they're like kind of like okay wealthy they're like off living on this like little piece of land that they're wanting to sell off so they can get out of here but everyone's sort of like in this kind of blah mood they're like kind Mm -hmm. of like it's like that cross between like kind of a traditional japanese life where they're still wearing kimonos and like sandals and stuff like that sliding doors and like well like the rest of like civilizations moving on in like it's like very 20th century like it's just like down the street. You have to catch the train and whatnot. Uh, yeah. This is like that line of like an Ozu movie to like a, uh, like an urban Tokyo landscape. They're just kind of in this weird place. And this movie is just like this character, again, another character study, uh, which I'm, I'm digging uh, this week. But yeah, it's just this movie about her life and like her like interest in this groundskeeper guy who's just hanging around and like you don't know what his score is. He's just be kind of like a little bit of a horn dog, but maybe not. Uh, but then you find out he totally is a horn dog and he's knocked somebody up. Uh, and there's like this whole idea of like honor and getting married and um, yeah, I, I think this movie's like and th- so this movie just sounds like oh it's just like a melodrama, it's just another story, but a lot of it's in the the telling of it. It's very um if you remember Double Suicide, like not it's not like it's not like that very like hey you're watching a movie experimentation, but it's like this yeah. like very like elegantly made kind of uh the way that Godard is at his best when it's just like it's beautifully shot and there's like these kind of mom- these breaks from like what you'd expect like a, of typical narratives just to be a, a kind of experimental mm-hmm. for the sake of it with this like kind of ongoing narration of, of events. But yeah, no, I thought this movie was like really cool. Uh, I think in that particular set of it, uh, it's the best movie I've watched from that, from his movies. But Did it uh, blow your dick off? 
No, I I reserve that for you and your Ninja Scrolls. Okay. Um, you yeah, gotta I ask. I know that's fine. Uh, yeah, so I so I thought this was quite good. Um, and the other movie I watched uh, was The Vampire Doll. It's the first part of this uh, like Japanese Dracula trilogy. Uh, Arrow just put out called it's called the Bloodthirsty trilogy. They've labeled mm-hmm. it. There's like cool movies with titles like Blood uh, Lake of Dracula and stuff like that. Uh, and this is these are just like Japanese uh, stabs at making hammer horror movies, but uh, without the like. Mm, the charm I, I think that Hammer movies kind of have because they're not great yeah. movies in themselves like the there's like maybe like a handful of really good Hammer horror movies and the rest of them are very middling this is kind of like novel because mm-hmm. it's Japanese doing the same thing and it's very like there's not much to it it's not it's like only like 80 minutes long so it it's not like it doesn't stick around very much but um, yeah it's just like kind of like a slow thing of like oh guy goes up to this house and then he turns into a vampire. And then his sister comes to find where he's gone. And then spooky things happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's about it. Um, How spooky was it? Not really. I kept thinking, like, mm-hmm. maybe if I was watching this at Halloween, maybe I'd be more plugged into the uh, the spooky mindset. But, like, watching this, gotcha. like, the end of May, beginning of June, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, the right time of year to watch stuff like this. Because <clears throat> I'm, like, coming off of watching these more, like, kind of serious-minded dramas. Uh, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's no The Gambler. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is just, like, a fluffy little genre movie that if you're in the mind for it, you'll probably, you you might overlike it just because you're in the mm. mood for it. But I think it's just, like, it's okay. Um I don't know if I'd necessarily be like, you should definitely go out of your way to watch this. Uh, but we'll see how the rest of the movies go. Maybe they'll get so better. I should definitely go out of my way to watch that? Mm, you could. Me? Yeah. Not a normal person, though? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's well, like, how, how many are there in the series, the, did you say? It's a trilogy. So you do trilogy? the math. Okay. Eight? Yeah. So it's like puppet, right. not, it's, not, it's no puppet master. Mm, you know, I still don't feel normal. No, you. Uh, nor should you? Yeah. So, are you gonna watch the other two this week? Mm, we'll see. We'll see. Soon. I, I own it. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a whole list of like, like there's about fifty Japanese movies I own that I've never mm-hmm. watched that I should like take a bite out of um, if I'm in the mood to do it right now. And yeah. there's like the stuff I've like <clears throat> downloaded, and uh, I might check out some of those. I don't know. We'll see. What do you we'll mean see. downloaded legally from iTunes? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Just have to check. Right. Of course. We we're all very much on the up and up here. Yeah. At the creeps. Mm-hmm. That's why we're called the creeps because we're all above board. The well, creep catchers were good dudes. Yeah. <laughs> they were. They were the creeps too. Yeah, you don't hear about that anymore. Well, they caught them all. They got them all. Yeah. Stop creeping. They did it. Yeah. Well, RJ, um, that's it for my movies. Hey, you, you got any news? I do, but I just remembered I wanted to tell you about something first for our 100th episode spectacular. Mm -hmm. I finished The Long Walk by Stephen King. It was really good. Uh, The only thing I want to talk about is I think I don't know what he was doing and I guess coke and booze, but for him to think that anyone would believe that he wasn't Richard Bachman uh, cause that's a Bachman book and the whole book is about Maine and, uh, Bangor <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like, were you fucking nuts, dude? Like you didn't think anyone would figure this out? 
So anyways, right. that was good. Uh, and then I wanted to tell you, mm. uh, I, uh, Andrea and I, uh, watched three or four episodes of Arrested Development season five. Oh. So the first two episodes I didn't like at all. Uh, and then the other two, it's getting more back into the rhythm. But uh, I think I think Stephen King was right. Sometimes dead is better. Uh, as a longtime fan of the series, I don't know if it should have came back. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really political now. Uh, there's a lot of Donald Trump in oh, this new season. Boy. Uh, and then uh, the thing that um, really made me just want to, I almost turned it off. I was like, come on. Uh, Ron Howard's uh, just shameless uh, plugs in Arrested Development. You know how in seasons one to three, uh, George Michael was caught filming his lightsaber action? Mm-hmm. And it was like funny. Because that was, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, before there was a Star Wars movie every year. Yep. Uh, they bring that back here, and I'm not even fucking kidding. Uh, Ron Howard comes in narrating, and he's like, a move George Michael did here, which would later be recreated in an upcoming Han Solo origin film. Mm-hmm. Great. Why, why, do, why do they have to talk about that? Um... Why, why would they have to bring that up in fucking Arrested Development? That Ron Howard made a, a Han Solo movie, and he's like, let's talk about it. Well, because it's 2018. It's 2018. Anyways, uh, there's an Adams Family animated movie I didn't know was coming what? out. That's what? Pretty- and it's got, like, uh, Oscar Isaac as uh, um, Gomez, and I think Charlize Theron is Morticia. Uh, uh, Morticia. Yeah, there there was a couple people that were pretty cool. I think the one that I was thrown off was Nick Kroll is going to be Fester, but uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I think Pugsley was a was a good pick. Um, Rob Zombie is making a creature from the Black Lagoon movie. Apparently, huh. we'll see how that goes. It it won't happen probably. It won't happen. Yeah. Uh, much like yeah, His much blob. like this other movie. Yeah, the Blob. Uh, I think the DC film universe is done because uh, they keep announcing new movies, but like none of them are coming out. Like they just announced that Jared Leto is going to get his own Joker film. But like six months ago, they announced that Martin Scorsese was with the guy who did like the hangover. We're going to make a Joker film. So it's like this is what they do now. They just announce new movies that will never fucking be made. So I think they're going to release Aquaman and Wonder Woman 2 and they'll just be like, all right. That's it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they just announced stuff. Yeah. Anyways, do you have any news, bro? Well, I just wanted to ask, uh, have you chased any minority actresses offline lately? Uh, none that you would know. They're they're really big in uh, Uganda, but um, not anymore. Not mm. after I got them. Well, that's too bad. Uh, no, what happened? Well, uh, I'll just share this. So Kelly Marie Tran... Uh, who played Rose in The Last Jedi, uh, apparently, like, deleted all uh, her Instagram posts following what, I mean, what the media concluded were racist, sexist harassments. So Mm. Last Jedi is a movie that I'm on record being like, that movie's not very good. And none of it had to do with Rose, who I don't even really remember. Um, My problem is those movies are dumb. They're for children, mm-hmm. and like they're real insultingly bad. Um, they're as bad as those prequels, um, mm-hmm. and that's about it. I don't, I don't want to think about those movies anymore. But it seems really fucked up to me that there's this like 
quarter of like fandom online. And like I, I encounter this now at the store whenever Star Wars is brought up because of course in the last couple of weeks Solo came out. Uh, as we all know, mm-hmm. the movie underperformed. It's on like track to be the first flop ever in the Star Wars franchise. But that's what you get for your movie costing $250 million to make um, and not being great or anticipated. But whatever. Uh, don't call it Soilo. You sound dumb. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is like weird and kind of messed up to me uh, because it's like always these guys who are like, Oh, I think there's been enough change. I think there's no more need for this social justice warrioring. I think society is yeah. like, we've hit a plateau. We're okay at this point. Society's finally equal. To prove your point, yeah. let's target minority women that are in our beloved franchises. Because it happened to What's Your Face <laughs> from Ghostbusters. And you're like, hmm, that's weird. It's always the like the, the, the women of color that get targeted, you know. But we're all equal, so it's all good. And it's like, yeah, okay. I, it's fuck. I I follow it's, Jared. It's, it's monstrous, and it's like, why do people care about? Like, this is like their rallying point, though. Is Rose like she's? I guess the Jar Jar, I mm-hmm. guess of these of the of Lost Jedi, so, and it's like it's fascinating because I'm like, I I don't even get it. Like, I never even like found Jar Jar all that like ridiculous for Star Wars. I mean, it's yeah. like it was just a, con- a cont- continuation of like the goofy stuff that was in Return of the Jedi, and then it got goofier with the prequels. And this mm-hmm. is like, I mean, I guess for people who want to get away from the goofiness and want their hardcore Star Wars movies, it's like even like that. Whatever, they're, these are yeah, they're, it's um, it's fake, RJ. They're fucking fake movies. They're not real. Oh, I know it's fake. I know it's fake. So now we uh, harass thought, people online. That's yeah. that's good. I thought she was dumb too, but I thought uh, that whole storyline with her and the other dude, which is named Finn, I thought that was all dumb because it was just an unnecessary thing. But yeah, who who gives a shit? Who gives it's a movie? Shit. Yeah, I, I don't like. <laughs> I'm go... not gonna. I'm not gonna follow her and be like, hey, it's hey. It's, it's not her fault. She's a paid actor, and that's yeah. it. It's like who who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Like move on. Don't watch these movies. Don't be like, well, maybe I'll check it out. Uh, I don't want to go to an opening weekend. <laughs> it's like, oh, and I'm going to buy all their products still to prove a point. It's like, okay, you prove the point that the house always wins. Mm. And, and Does then, that work and then, with us too? Uh, I don't know. We, we're, where's, our, where's the house in this uh, relationship? I don't know. Me? Yeah. You, ha- you do have a house, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was it. I just wanted to mention that this is a uh, time capsule podcast. I want to like, you know, one day I'll maybe listen back to this episode years from now and be like, what was the news in episode 100? And be like, fuck, I remember that period of time. I think no one looking back at episode 100 will bring shame and disappointment for everyone involved. Probably. And anyone listening. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think that's it. We have a review to do. Do we? Eh, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> after the break, we're going to be watching America grow into a horrible place, but magnificently. Um, who? The swan song of a nation. Everyone's waiting for you inside. We got soda pop and hickory stills 
Quinny Eskimo and Espadrilles and Sally making you feel alright. Out a Baroness and a Bayonets, the man had a head and bets against the good judgment of the swinging king. Is this the fall of the American Empire? But don't you worry, honey, you didn't miss a thing. Juiced up dignitaries getting loose like the loneliest dead. We got our own sanctimonious kid. And he can suck the diamond off a diamond ring. Just send in the farmers in the national. Literature's most fascinating family, brought to the screen by the magic of Orson Welles. Richard Bennett plays old Major Amberson, tyrannical head of a family that had all the rights of royalty and none of its responsibilities. Dolores Costello returns to the screen with a magnificent portrayal of Isabel, the Major's daughter, who left the man she loved to wed another who was more acceptable. From Citizen Kane, you will remember Agnes Moorhead, who plays thin, spinsterish Aunt Fanny. A lonely woman in a house of wealth. No one would guess that Fanny had a secret love. Ray Collins is Uncle Jack, the black sheep of the Andersons. And Joseph Cotton, who plays Eugene Morgan, the man who came out of the past to find his first love once again. Finally, Isabel's boy, young George, played by Tim Holt, headstrong, impetuous, and arrogant heir to the splendor of the Andersons. Young George, who hated Eugene Morgan, the man his mother really loved stood between their happiness like an avenging angel. Don't you think you should tell George? About us? Yes. You're not wanted in this house, Mr. Morgan. I'm afraid I don't understand. Perhaps you'll understand this. So scandal at last attacked the house of Amberson. Scandal spread by Isabel's own sister. Scandal spread by her own son, who broke into every house in town to make them take back the things they said about his mother. That high and mighty Amberson girl who fell in love just once too often. The Magnificent Ambersons brings you many of the Mercury players you first saw in Citizen Kane. It brings you Orson Welles as commentator, director, and producer of a truly distinguished and exciting motion picture. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about The Magnificent Ambersons, directed by Orson Welles from 1942, and the brief synopsis from Letterboxd. The spoiled young heir to the decaying Amberson fortune comes between his widowed mother and the man she has always loved. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Okay. So, so, RJ, um, are you familiar with the the tale of the Magnificent Ambersons as far as like it's a historical place in film history? Not really. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> let me give you a little bit of a recap. So okay. Orson Welles, he directed that Citizen Kane over there at RKO Pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was, you know, this movie at the time was kind of this like kind of weird like movie where he had been given all this creative control and uh, he made what would later be called a masterpiece, greatest film ever made, studied in film schools all allegedly. around. The, allegedly. We covered it back in episode 25, I think it was, something Ooh, like that. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, I know. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's number one in the Criterion Laserdisc collection. And here we are mm-hmm. at number nine. 
Uh, yeah. So Magnificent Ambersons was his follow-up film. Um, and it was cruelly taken away from him. Uh, he, in what sense? Well, he submitted his final cut, which I think was like 135 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had to take off to Africa during the war to do some projects over there. Did like he pulled a Dave for, Chappelle? For, for the effort during the yeah. war. Um, so he got, he got sidetracked and the studio was not really happy with the way this film was testing. Cause this was like a period of time in old Hollywood where, uh, we didn't have the auteur theory going. We didn't have directors. We had producers. Mm. We had uh, these movies belong to the people who are funding these movies, and they got directors to work on it. Um, so, I mean, this movie was, in fact, was produced by Orson Welles, but RKO had their money dumped into this bad boy, and mm-hmm. uh, they wanted a return. So they had this opportunity while Orson Welles was away, uh, gallivanting, not, not uh, taking their suggestions. Uh, mm-hmm. And film editor, one Robert Wise, we've uh, talked about uh, in the past. Uh, he he went to work on this film. To When did we talk about him in the past? Robert Wise, uh, yeah. the director of such films as uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, The Haunting, Star Trek The Motion Picture, oh. amongst many other things. Well, uh, he, he should have been a good fit. Well, I mean, he's not a bad editor or anything like that. But, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, you know, he, he made lots of movies. He was an RKO guy. Yeah. So anyway, so he, he was told what to do. So he was like, okay, I got to make this shorter. So he wound up working on this movie, uh, much to the chagrin of Orson Welles, who just like thought his his version was like amazing and perfect. And now he has a movie that's 88 minutes long. Um, and so this movie has always had this reputation of mm-hmm. kind of like being the movie that like began the like – I don't know, the Terry Gilliam-esque fall of, like, Orson Welles. Like, if you look at his filmography, he made movies. Like, he continued making movies for, like, the rest of his life, but it was getting harder and harder. The years between the movies was getting longer and longer. Uh, He never really was ever able to make anything uncompromised ever again. Like, it was always, like, an uphill battle. Um, which I mean is a combination of the personality of these guys and the studio system, because mm-hmm. there's plenty of directors who've been able to negotiate these things and still have great careers. And then there's these guys that they hit a wall and they just do not play ball in the way, the way that the studio system works. I don't know if it's right or wrong. It is what it is. So, uh, the, the, the thing with Magnificent Ambersons, it's, it's reputation forever and ever was that. The only version you can watch is the compromised version, which is the version we watched uh, this week. And right. uh, the the holy grail of cinema is being able to find a fully intact 135-minute cut that Orson Welles had made. There's, like, always been talk that, well, there's a copy maybe down in, like, Brazil or South America. That, <laughs> like, because back in the day, the, like, this, yeah. this like, they the way they, I mean, you'd have your film negative originals, right? And then mm-hmm. you'd, you'd cut... Uh, prints and then like you'd send them out to get them out to these corners of the world that would take forever to get to so you want to get them out soon and sometimes the these original versions would like sneak through the cracks Uh, it's kind of like what happened with metropolis when they found it in like this like this argentinian like broom closet like there's just like these things you're like or like in the like an old like mental institution like these things happen like it's it's crazy Isn't that where they found jurassic park yeah, exactly. In amber, like the real cut. Yeah, in in yeah. in amber. Uh, anyways, anyways. Uh, so keep going. Okay, so 
when you're watching this movie, you kind of have to like go in knowing that. So this is not the maybe the dream version. This isn't the ideal version of the movie. That being said, so I watched this movie a few years ago for the very first time because mm-hmm. uh, it was like on like one of those like MGM four packs. I think it was like Classic Moms. <laughs> Uh, with movies what? like uh, I Remember Mama and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just like and Mr. Mom, uh, Mrs. Miniver, which is a, actually mm. a really good movie too. Um, and uh, oh, what's the name of that one? It's also a good movie. It's, it's a good set actually. So I finally got to watch mm. that Magnificent Ambersons. And uh, watching it at the time, I was like, like this movie's like pretty good. Like, um, mm. like just like you know, the story is like just this sort of simple uh, melodrama of uh rich folk and their mm-hmm. infighting and relationships blah 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 but like the film craft on display the filmmaking the camera work uh it's like fantastic like you you're like watching this mm-hmm. and you're like well this is like on a completely different level than films being made in 1941 1942 like the way he shoots people it, like it looks like a contemporary movie it, there's like actually almost like a a roughness to the movie like it almost mm-hmm. looks sloppy it doesn't have a studio polish which is really interesting um and then like yeah there's like all these these film qualities that like oh yeah that's wells all right his use of light and shadow blah 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 um yeah so watching this movie again um like i said uh i my mind wasn't fully on watching movies this week so i was kind of like oh man not the best time to be watching this again um but you know there's like all the things that i liked about this movie the first time we're all still there I like think this movie is like pretty cool, uh, even though it's like I'm fully aware that it's like yeah, this movie is like it's like I was a, I, well, I was really amazed when this movie just ended. I was kind of like oh that's it, and I always remember like how obvious the fucking happy ending of this movie is because it just makes no sense at all. It comes out of nowhere, and you're like well this movie is not supposed to end this way. Like this is like such a false happy note that they're trying to put into a movie to salvage it, um, to make it marketable rather than like this like grim thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I, I think this movie is pretty, pretty decent, pretty good. Um, yeah. Two E's or what? Two, two E's my friend in an S. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'll uh, I'll toss it over to you and maybe talk a little bit more afterwards. But RJ, okay. what what did you think of your uh, maiden voyage with the uh, the magnificent Ambersons? Mm, my maiden voyage, eh? Well, I'm gonna lay it on you like this, Jer. Yo, this is only the second Orson Welles movie I've ever seen. Oh my god, you're such a fucking ugh. And see, the only the, the, see, <laughs> see, 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 the reason why is because. By saying that, that means you've never seen Touch of Evil. And it's just like, come on, dude. Was that a future creep? No, it's not even, I don't think. It's just... Well, I'll watch that soon then. Okay. Yeah, that, <laughs> well, that... F for fake is a future creep. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, that's like a like a documentary and o- weird. Othello thing. is a future creep. Oh yeah, no, I've got all I got all the those wells. You could... Okay, so if if anyone well, has been also, listening should, that far back, you should back. also watch uh, his uh, the trial. His oh, that movie's fucking amazing, dude. If anyone has been listening and keeping track that far back, all the way to episode 25, 75 episodes ago, uh, the reason we one of the big reasons we were doing the laser disc thing, <laughs> the, the laser disc initiative, started with an idea, Jared. It's like the Marvel universe started with an idea. Uh, you found out that I had never seen Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first Orson Welles movie I ever watched. Yeah. And this was the second. Uh, why? I don't know. 
I honestly, I always thought Citizen Kane was uh, too big for the hype. It was one of those things. Too big for its bridges? Yeah, because it was just... Or too small for its bridges. Ex- yeah, may- maybe the maybe that one. Because I, I always heard about it forever and ever. And I you see it count, like... You see it parodied and stolen from in mediums all over. I mean, my only foray in Citizen Kane was that Simpsons episode with Mr. Burns. Yeah, that was what that was how I knew Citizen Kane was from that. I think that's many people actually many for, people. for a generation. Yeah, yeah. So just through cultural osmosis and other mediums, it gets absorbed. So this is the second Orson Welles movie I, I've watched, unless you count that uh, video of him talking about the French wine. Uh, which I think is a film in itself. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Uh, the French. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> was that as good as how he delivers that yeah. line? Uh, the French. Um, so this is my second. I, until you just mentioned this troubled production, I had no idea that right. that was even a thing. I've never heard of the Magnificent Ambersons. I had never heard of, uh, this troubled past where there's 50 minutes just lifted right out of this movie uh, or however much it was right. was taken away from this. I just watched this fucking movie last week. Cool. Going in completely cold. Uh, and my general response was this, Jared. I'll lay it on you like this. Yep. Uh, this movie is very well made. Uh, that was evident very immediately. There was some cool track and shot stuff. Uh, the big ballroom Mm -hmm. sequence the big scene that was really cool uh the camera just kind of flowed through the room uh it was all shot very nice it looked fucking great i was like oh yeah Uh, yeah this is some of that orson welles shit that i hear about all the time this right here uh it looks great like you said the film craft i think is is pretty strong in this one uh even in this um, altered version that takes away from what I guess, like, I don't know. What did you, was it 50 minutes you said from 80 minutes? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just kind of, I'm browsing over there on uh, that Wikipedia, the bastion of all truth. Yeah. So, okay. So there was a, a the original rough cut of the film was approximately 135 minutes. Wells felt the film needed to be shortened. And after receiving a mixed response from a March 17th preview audience in Palmina, uh, film editor Robert Weiser removed several minutes from it. The film was previewed again, but the audience response did not improve because Wells had conceded his original contractual right to the final cut in a negotiation with RKO over, over uh, or with RKO over a film, which he was obliged to direct, but never did. RKO took over editing once Wells had delivered a first cut. RKO deleted more than 40 additional minutes and reshot the ending in late April and early May in changes directed by assistant director Fred Fleck, Robert Wise, and Jack Moss, the business manager of Wells' Mercury Theatre. Three takes replaced uh, Wells' original ending with a happier one that broke significantly with the film's uh, uh, tone. The reshot ending Mm -hmm. is the same as in the novel. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, gotcha, there's like gotcha, gotcha. so there's there's 40 minutes of a movie that are just gone. Right. Okay. So knowing that now, well, I didn't know that when I watched it. Yeah. Knowing it now, I think it changes my perspective a little bit. Uh, but I, my general response at first, my initial reaction was, yeah, this movie looks really good. It's got some pretty cool filmmaking. Like, uh, there's the one shot where. The camera's moving back. The people are walking towards it, and then they start going up the stairs and stuff yeah. like that. I was like, that's really cool. 
I don't know how they did that. They must have been on some huge fucking crane because it starts way back in one room. Comes uh, like uh, the camera backs up. The people are walking towards it for a good bit. And then they go up the stairs. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's a good shot, man. This looks nice. Um, so I think all of that stuff is really good. I see why this is uh, uh, hot, trot, hot to trot. Um, but this movie also falls into my uh, category of um, pathetic rich people that I don't feel bad for. Uh, in a sense. So I don't love the story itself, uh, mostly because that George guy is a real fucking piece of shit mm-hmm. and uh, like intentionally so. Yeah. But at the same well, time, I was a- like, like, like that's the point of the movie is that he's just like a real shitty dude. Yeah. But at the same time, I was watching it and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I have a really hard time getting invested in this really fucking pouty kid with the Oedipus complex. He's like, he's like, mom, you can't date anyone. That guy sucks. Like, I want to marry this girl. And you're like, ugh. Because, like, there's so much attention given to it. And I know it's supposed to be, like, you're supposed to look at them and then you're supposed to look at the family that's not been given as much attention as these guys have. Well, I like, they're always there, I guess. But I feel like the really shitty George guy is, I felt like he was the main point of this movie. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I know it's intentional so that you see the, that other family and kind of see their humble, modest side in the background. It's like, Oh, like these are very different ways of being a a rich guy a rich family. But, uh, I, I found it was a little hard to, to root for these, these rich people in any of their problems. And it's like, well, I guess he gets his comeuppance. And it's like, not really. He, he like loses all his money and is like, oh, boo-hoo. And then he gets hit mom, by a mom car. dies and he gets... Well, mom he, dies. Yeah, he's supposed to fucking be dead. Well, everyone but, dies, Jared. Yeah, everyone dies eventually. Everyone dies. And then I thought the ending was a real uh, piece of shit where yeah. they're like... It's like, oh, well, we're going to take care of things. That's what it, that's what everyone wants. And I was like, fuck off. Yeah, that ending, and like, man. So it sounds like that's not the real ending of no. what they were trying to do. So it changes my opinion a little bit. This truncated version that I watched, I liked all of the filmmaking parts of it, but the story itself, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't like this guy who says duck way too much, <laughs> way too fucking much. Oh, you know what I mean? Those queer ducks over there. Uh, what about that queer duck looking at me? It says duck way too much. And he was just like the epitome of like stubborn ignorance everything that he's talking about he's like oh automobiles pa what huh. that's you get a horse you chump you would say stuff like that and then to the girls he's like why don't you go to a man's college for one day and she's just like Ugh, i hate people like this i hate you and I'm, i know i'm supposed to hate you but it's like but you're all that's on the on screen for like 80 percent of this movie so the filmmaking parts were very good i just i didn't love the story with this guy because i just didn't like any of the people right but knowing that this is only really two-thirds of the movie i don't know it's well, kind of hard but, but kind of like, hard to say yeah it's kind of hard to like grade this thing or think about like, yeah because it's like it's a compromised vision so it's kind of like you're, yeah. you're left with this movie that's there um but i mean like i don't know if the story would change terribly much with that extra 40 minutes like i don't know it's still like the story is more or less intact. It's just like, yeah, the ending is completely like bullshit. Cause he's supposed to, uh, I think it's like in the, 
he's supposed to get blown up in the because he starts working at a dynamite factory. He takes a job yeah. and then he blows up in the dynamite factory. And it's like mm-hmm. because it's supposed to be just about um, I don't know this march of technology that's like kind of lingering. Which is like there's like so many elements of this story that just appeal to me uh, on like a personal level. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, we have that uh, wonderful uh, third person omniscient narrator that like starts mm-hmm. off this movie where you get the like uh, the picture book framing of like the house and people coming coming and going and it's just like i love uh like orson welles's radio voice um and like the uh the eloquence i imagine a lot of it's like a mix of like uh so this is based on a uh, a book by booth tarkington who's like by who sorry booth tarkington (laughs) that's not a real fucking person uh his, his real name rj is newton booth tarkington uh, Newton. Newton. <laughs> well, that's a real last name, at least. Well, he was. Well, he was. He was born. He was born in 1869, um, and uh, he is uh, one of only three novelists to win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, uh, along William Faulkner and John Updike. So, yeah, he big deal. This Booth Tarkington in his day. Um, Tark. I don't buy it. Tark is what he'd go by. RJ. I don't it's buy it. Tark to you. Um, <sighs> Anyways, so, uh, but yeah, just like the, the, that voiceover narration stuff, the, the narration of events and stuff like that, the turns of phrase, I love, I love all that stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just sort of this like kind of a approach to Americana and this like weird nostalgia that people have to like this window of time, this like, mm-hmm. this kind of like being the, the, the top of the pile in the Midwest. And it's like what the, what scope that actually was. Um, yeah. and then you just kind of are watching the, the fall of the American family as things go bad. If you're a bad person, it's going to even be worse because no one's actually going to give a crap mm-hmm. about you. Um, especially when you like distance yourself from these people. And then, yeah, there's like that shot. Like I fucking like, I remember like I lost my mind. I love you boil your dick off. What's it, going it, on? It, RJ, it blew my dick off. Ninja Which scroll shot? style. Uh, that's sh- the whole thing that like march down the street, the overhead, like shots of just like modernist America, like just like these, oh, okay. the cold calculated skyline with the, like, yeah, the, just cool. like the modern that in like the voice. Cause you know, like that's when the movie's supposed to really go longer. That's like where a lot of the runtime I think mm-hmm. went from my understanding is the, like that you're supposed to see more of that. The like the darkness of a, of modern America, and for like a, a man who's being humbled by it, and then just gets blown up in a dynamite factory. It's supposed to go like to like that place, and you're supposed to be like the world. America's indifferent. It's not this like loving like picture book mm-hmm. image of America. It's like this is what America is, and it's kind of like oh Orson Welles got to live that himself, being just like ah yeah this the system fuck you. He he managed. He did okay. He didn't get blown mm-hmm. up. He uh he got to grow up to be a great big fat man uh that showed up on talk shows and was very popular and is still like beloved in this kind of car- caricature cartoonish sort of way now um mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know this, I, I think this movie is like a, a lot of elements going for it that i really like uh, on a personal level mm-hmm. um but yeah like i said it's always like it's frustrating because and it's like that you'll never act- really get to see the real version of this movie to really be able to judge it. But all the, for the parts right. of it that like, I like, I like quite a bit. And like I said, like on a technical mm-hmm. level, this movie's fantastic. Like it looks so great. Those, like those, uh, 
those continuous shots on the tracks and stuff like that, like the layering Ooh, yeah. of it, cinematography. Um, I w- I think back to like when we were talking about with uh, Citizen Kane, like all these like kind of things that he did that were innovative, like shooting at low mm-hmm. angles, and then he'd have like this like uh, material over the ceiling so you could hide the microphone so you could shoot at different levels. Because when you watch some like mm-hmm. movies, like even like watching um, Lady Eve or um, uh, My Man Godfrey, you always get the sense of these yeah. movies are are in these giant cavernous spaces that aren't real homes like they're not like houses they're they're, they're sets they always have this set like quality whereas this this movie also has that like set like quality but there's like uh, an intentional like grandioseness to those spaces because you're supposed to be watching like this massive house that houses mm-hmm. these like this massive family and as it gets like less lit and like with giant chandeliers suddenly the lights the power and like lights are being kept off because it's expensive and then it, get, it gets darker and darker but there's those times where like they're shooting from these low angles that feel far more uh, contemporary uh, mm-hmm. than, than 1942 would usually look usually those movies like have like a dated quality that's fine it looks like a movie from that but this movie kind of like looks ahead of time um uh, for the period whose time uh their time and now it looks now just like it holds up uh man mm-hmm. oh, even watch touch of evil that really is it is it's <laughs> so frustrating to me did i just ruin your day oh no I you know what heard. i have seen evils of the night yeah is that is that anywhere similar to touch yeah. of evil yeah yeah rj whatever Who... and, you, and you gotta watch the trial that that with Anthony Perkins, that movie well, is. Are any of these that, that future movie, creeps? No, no, they're not. They're just they're just Orson Welles well, movies. When when's our next Orson Welles movie? Uh, probably F for Fake. How how soon is that? I don't know. Maybe it's confidential confidential report or something like that. There's there's some more Welles coming one day. But well, whenever we have an, another Orson Welles movie, you hit me with all of these uh these atro- uh these movies that I should have seen. Grave oversights. Whatever, man. Uh, you you come at me when you watch King Arthur and Evils of the Night, and then we can talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. who who's really pulling their weight on this podcast. Ah, uh, you queer looking duck. Queer looking duck. Who that queer looking duck over there? Yeah. What about this queer looking duck over here? Yeah. He says it like fucking a hundred times. I hate you, George. You should hate Booth. I'm sure that's a Booth Tarkington. Ah, ah, that guy sucks. Hey, hey. You don't know anything about that man. He has no George, problem with you. I mean, George. George oh, sucks. Yeah. But Booth Tarkington is surely not a real person, anyways. So, real. He's the real deal. Mm. Um. So this is a fun little bit here. Uh. So, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, uh, if you recall, Peter Bogdanovich, filmmaker, and sort of oh, the, yeah, Bog. the 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 yeah, old Pete, uh, the the Bog. Uh. Mm-hmm. He 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 wrote that. Uh. Or he compiled. This is Orson Welles. His series of interviews he did with Orson Welles for like years and years and years. Yeah. Uh. Welles confirmed that he had planned to reshoot the ending of the Magnificent Ambersons with the principal cast members who were still living. Ooh, uh, yeah, so his idea is here. Yes, I had an outside chance to finish it again just a couple years ago, but I couldn't swing it. The fellow who was going to buy the film for me disappeared from view. The idea was to take the actors who are still alive now, Joseph Cotton, Baxter, Moorhead, Holt, and do quite a new end to the movie. 
20 years after. Mm -hmm. Maybe that way we could have got a new release and a large audience to see it for the first time. You see, the basic intention was to portray a golden world, almost one of memory, and then show what it turns into. Having set up this stream town of the good old days, the whole point was to show the automobile wrecking it, not only the family, but the town. All this is out. What's left is only the first six reels. Then there's a kind of arbitrary bringing back down the curtain by a series of clumsy, quick devices. The bad black world was supposed to be too much for people. My whole third act is lost because of all the hysterical tinkering that went on. And it was hysterical. Everybody that they could find was cutting it so uh cutting what uh his, his foreskin rj jared this is our 100th episode and you bring that <laughs> it, shit? It, it wouldn't be a 100th episode without at least one mention of foreskin good god the two people who listen to this show are real disappointed with you buddy mm. real disappointed yeah fuck but yeah, man, I don't know. It's like I, I said, like just like on a technical level, this movie is absolutely worth watching. Um, oh yeah, I, sure. and, and and from like a from f- subjectively speaking, I think that the the story for me is like it works for me. Uh, it's like not what it should mm-hmm. be, but I think it's it's good. It's not a great film, yeah. but uh, but because of these elements, but I think there's like so much here that's interesting. Um, and as far as like Orson Welles movies go, I mean, like when you go through his stuff, I mean, he's not like this. Like, cause he he made that uh, that or, that uh, Citizen Kane movie. People think every time out for him was like mm-hmm. a, a masterpiece. That is not the case. Because Citizen Kane was bad? No, like I mean, talking about like he he directed some movies that like no uh, he his forty one films to his credit. There's a bunch uh, of movies he no one talks about. I follow. Yeah, I follow what you're saying. As you will. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we haven't had a lot of fart noises this episode. Congrats. Does that mean we're maturing as people or? Uh... Oh yeah, the other thing with this film too is yeah. So uh, Bernard Herrmann uh, did the mm-hmm. score for this movie, and it was heavily edited. Uh, when more than half of his score was removed from the soundtrack, Berman bitterly severed his ties with the film and promised legal action if his name were removed from the credit were not removed from oh, the shit. credits. Um, no, yeah. is that good? N- no. <laughs> oh, all these guys. People... I don't know how Hollywood works, man. It's it's well, I don't know. Has it changed much? I mean, we're talking about fucking solo, uh, like earlier, uh, yeah. and it's like this movie that, like, oh, this is a compromised vision. You had people reshooting stuff, and mm-hmm. here we are flopping all around. Well, this this podcast is heavily edited. This is I, I listened to an episode a while ago, and like thirty percent of what I actually say makes it into the episode. So, <laughs> I wish I had that type of time. Well, somebody's editing it. <laughs> SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Well, RJ, it's not all smiles and sunshine. Uh, there are people who are not fans of this film. They, you might say, mm-hmm. even hate this film. So who hates see. it? Uh, Alex Lovendahl, one star. Oh, now, this I just don't get. There are people out there saying an unmitigated Andersons would be better than Citizen Kane, but I have absolutely zero trust in that idea. George Amberson is one of the most obnoxious and disinteresting lead characters in cinema history. 
The yes. primary subversion of the film seems to be dismissing the fact that his petty concerns are meaningful to anyone else. I agree with the film on that idea, but all the drama fails for me because it's tensionless. Reading about Wells' cut material mm. makes it sound like a much better movie than the one we have, but that's certainly not enough to make me buy it as a better than Kane. Um, now, actually, the first 25 minutes, as often cited by Michael Phillips, are pretty great. They're the most innovative cinematically and the least centered on George being a turd. But this is almost undoubtedly a rescue candidate for the future because I found the remainder of this shrill uh, whenever I didn't find it dull. So, um, is there actually people who say this is better than Citizen Kane? I'm sure there's some attention-seeking people back in the day that would say that. But my experience nowadays is that uh, people kind of like want to shit on Citizen Kane. They want to. Mm. They, they are like, I don't get it. I don't understand. And they it's poo-poo like, it. They poo-poo it. I could I could chalk it up to these millennials these days, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not totally sure. I follow. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't I wouldn't say that this movie probably is not as good as Citizen Kane. Um I'll just go out there. Even in its intact form, it would be nice to have an intact, but I mean come on. That's a pretty hot take, buddy. What what? That this movie's not as good as Citizen Kane regardless of it being intact? Well like I like, guess. Like a foreskin. Jared, come on, man. Th- Thomas Roke, one star. Mm. tedious and boring the elements that have any drama feel like quaint and boneheaded stereotypes as with most of wells the cinematography is impressive which is the only reason i rated it higher than i could have (laughs) one uh, one star Uh, i thought everything else about it sucked (laughs) we spent 88 minutes watching idiots indulge idiot logic until they get buggered soundly by their own ass-headedness this 88 ass-headedness This 88 minutes is made more torturous, not less, by the fact that the studio cut more than an hour out of the film. Given that the end point makes it all a boring waste of time, I can't even imagine how pissed I would be if I'd spent yet another hour getting there. The 88 minutes I did spend felt like 88 hours. I hate this movie. Seriously, in all caps. I want to kill myself after watching it. Oh, come on. Get the hell out of my head, Orson Welles. Half your movies suck. Ooh. Ooh, man, this guy, this guy's fucking edgy. He's talking about killing himself. He's talking about how the fucking uh, producers did him bad. Ooh, baby. I don't know. I don't know. People get a little worked up about stuff. It seems. No. Go harass uh, George this, on Twitter. Yeah, I bet this person ha- is a harassing. Uh, people he doesn't like on the instagram might very well be the roses of the world Mm -hmm. (sighs) well um any other thoughts not really buddy i think it's all right (laughs) i think it's all right (laughs) the kids are all right too the kid the kids are all right buddy no Uh, uh, you ever say buddy a lot no hey bud I, i don't like to sound like an idiot Know what I mean, ain't there, bud? Oh my God! Uh, Ooh, I can just—I just go out into the streets and hear that. Right on, bud. Bud, guy. Hey, hey, hey bud. Hey, guy. Hey, guy. Come over here for a minute, uh, real quick. Oh my goodness! Oh my God! You, you ever do one of those? I try not to. I oh. don't. No, I don't, RJ. Oh. After the break, um, RJ's getting hit by a car, and Jared's blowing up. 
blown up how like in popularity or out the butt or from lifting are you blowing out I'm your all, butt I'm, buddy I'm, I'm all blown out man Ooh. but we're RJ, what? Uh, you should get a horse. Moved in the mountain. Stop bothering everyone. Yeah, but you should get a horse. As I overturn in my fucking sled, being pulled by horses into a snowbank, I look like a oh. real asshole. I see what you did. Get it? That movie we just talked about. <laughs> uh. I thought you were talking about uh, Dirty Work, a movie that I would. You know what? This might be a hot take, but I think Dirty Work is better than the Magnificent Ambersons. Man, Dirty Work's not a good movie, dude. Dirty Work is pretty oh, good. No. If you're listening, write in and tell me, tell Jarrett why he's wrong and why Dirty Work is a good movie. It's no Kingpin. Ah, uh, Dirty Work's better than Kingpin. No. Come on. You can email us at creatureincrease at gmail.com and tell us which is better, Kingpin or Dirty Work. Um, yeah, that's what we have we, to we offer don't here. Know. At, yeah. yeah, 100 episodes in, uh, RJ's not any smarter. Hey, we still don't know if anyone even listens to this fucking thing, so, uh, you know, maybe uh, let us know. Uh, let us know what's better, Kingpin or Dirty Work. Yeah. Uh, we got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We're on the letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We've got a Patreon for those willing to give. Uh, I mean, 100 episodes later, I mean, come on. That's the perfect time if you haven't already. And for those who have, thank you very much. Uh, We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes, Google Play, all those platforms. And if we're not, maybe let us know, and maybe we can do something about that. Next Mm -hmm. week, we're back on track doing that creep proper. Spine 116. Back to the land of the samurai with Akura Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress from 1958. Is, is that good? Uh, it's been a really long time since I watched that movie. Like, like a really mm. long time. It'll be like almost watching it new for me. Um, and holy fuck, 
Uh, I'm just gonna get it out there. Uh, did you know, RJ, that that George Lucas drew drew uh, influence from the Hidden Fortress while making Star Wars? I'm done with this fucking yeah. thing. A hundred episodes. What are we doing with our life? <laughs> RJ, side swipes, side wipes. <laughs> I don't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Go away. I don't know if it's tears or laughter. Nobody cares. <laughs> Good night. The saddest fart.